This is Jeff Chrisman, and I'm here this afternoon actually visiting with uh, founding principals Anthony McDermott and uh, also John Ward. We're also here with uh, Rick Lube as well. Uh, wanted to thank you all for taking the time this afternoon. I thought what we might do is start out by hearing from Anthony and John a little bit about how, how you all got together and actually that and how the firm started. Okay, Jeff. Well, I'll get started. John and I both had our individual firms. We were sole proprietors back in the 80s. And we met through AIA, which is the American Institute of Architects, our, our professional organization. And both John and I served on committees. We were just small fry back then, but we served on committees. We did our duty. And that's how we got acquainted with each other. And then we got further acquainted when we both enrolled in the local VoTech at the time, Career Tech Now, to learn how to draw with a computer, which at the time was a revolutionary concept and one that was completely foreign to us. But we did go to the VoTech and, and we sat next to each other learning how to draw with a computer. And it was a lot more difficult then than it is now. But... Uh, anyway, that's when we first started a conversation about combining our sole proprietorships into a bigger firm, larger firm. John is going to probably completely, he'll have a different story entirely. I have, I have an entirely different story. <laughs> uh, no, that's pretty accurate, I'd say. I, one of the uh, great benefits that we saw, or we thought at the time, was that because we're sole proprietors, we were like dairy farmers, basically. You know, you always got to be out there in the barn, milking the cows. No vacations, no time off. Uh, you're, just, you're just working, you know, 24-7, basically. And uh, Anthony did a lot of churches back in the day, big churches, big uh, evangelical and uh, Baptists and all kinds of churches like that. And most of my work at the time was medical work and corporate space planning. We never competed against each other, but yet, it, so it made sense that we could throw our, our, uh, our two little baskets together and create something bigger. And importantly, when my work was slow, his work was fast, his was fast, mine was slow, and so it just, it just seemed to be a great uh, symbiotic kind of relationship right away. Yeah, and I think that we both felt somewhat stereotyped in the kind of work that we were doing, and we both wanted to do, we had aspired to do other kinds of work beyond my faith-based stuff and John's medical-based stuff. So we saw getting together and pooling our resources as an opportunity to go after other types of work. And I'll interject, this is Frick Loop, and uh, I came uh, to these guys in kind of a roundabout way. Uh, you never know what doors are going to open for you from what calamities, and at the time, I was a building contractor, building houses and that type of thing back in the 70s and hmm. 80s, right in the middle of when Penn Square Bank crashed in Oklahoma City, oh, which wow. was a fun time for anybody that lived through that period in your life. And so I had... Uh, I uh, had my first degree in construction science from OU and had a construction company for about 10 years. And uh, I'd always kind of thought about going back to architecture school. And uh, so running three 
cruise and then Pensacola Bank crashed and I just decided one day on the job site, I'm going to shut it down and go back to school. And that's what I did. I found everybody jobs and went back and got my uh, architecture degree. And I think I still had about a year left, uh, maybe a semester or something like that. And I was actually working on a project for my church and was telling the, the uh, uh, builder of uh, metal buildings my story. And he goes, oh, he goes, there's this uh, crazy English architect next door. Just lost his right-hand guy. If you have a resume, you are to go give it to him. And I had a resume. And I think I went to work for Anthony either the next day or very shortly thereafter. And so that was kind of how we got teamed together. It was just like, mm-hmm. it was just out of the blue, you know. And uh, so it was a great learning opportunity because Anthony's desk was right here. My desk was right here. And although I was a pretty savvy contractor, I really didn't know that much about architecture at the time, mm. you know. And uh, Anthony, being the great communicator that he is, it was a great place to be a sponge, <laughs> I can tell you. It was wonderful. And uh, then uh, John kind of similarly had a, had a, a right-hand guy by the name of Zin Zhao. And uh, so that's kind of how we all got tap started. It was John and Zen and Anthony and I. And I remember Anthony coming into the office. We used to office with Jim Hodges down in Moore at the time. And Anthony came into the office one day. He goes, Rick, he goes, well, this is what I'm going to do. He goes, would you like to come with me or stay here with Jim? And I, I thought about it for about a half a second. I said, I guess I'll come with you. <laughs> that was it. So here we go. Off to the ride I went. You know, it's been a great, wonderful ride ever since. So, um but that was a, the very kernel of tap, I guess, back then. It was John was officing downtown at the time, and because, as memory serves, downtown was just about the cheapest office space you could find oh, yeah. in the in the eight, late eighties. I mean, it was a ghost town in the late eighties. So he was he was enjoying cheap office rent downtown, and when we decided to throw our our resources, pool our resources and form TAP, uh, it was natural to come downtown. I, I, I'm a city kid, and so I love downtowns, and that was a natural place for us to want to be. Plus, it was cheaper in. It was in the middle of everything. So actually, there were resources downtown that you didn't have in the suburbs. You know, there was a post office that was open 24-7. Right. And, print and Print shops yeah. and... There were a lot of resources downtown at the time, so it, it made a lot of logistical sense, and it made a lot of economic sense. And at the time, we were the only architecture firm that was really in the central business district. So that was, that was sounds odd today, but it was, it was true. It was true back then. There, there were no other architecture firms that were located in the central business district. We were it. Very interesting, I, and that kind of leads me to think. Uh, and I've just lived here, you know, for a few years. It would be really interesting if I could hear from all of you as far as you know when the firm started out, maybe understanding you know what your vision was at the time as far as the type of work that you wanted to do and how you wanted to engage with clients, and maybe have that against the backdrop of how how you all have seen Oklahoma City change, you know, as far as the central business district, sure. district and downtown as well as the city as a whole. Sure. Well, I think we wanted to do, as Anthony kind of mentioned, we wanted to do better work. And that was one of the, um, I think that's one of the benefits we kind of felt we would have by joining forces to begin with. And so, um, and what does that really mean, better work? I think for us it meant work that served some higher purpose. You know, than just being a building on the corner that uh, sells laundry or something. You know, so 
we were trying to do purposeful architecture. And um, I think our first real opportunities in doing that, I think is we, we started getting some jobs from the city, really. Fire yeah. station. Fire station, mm -hmm. fire station 33. And that was, uh, I think that was probably the first opportunity we had where we kind of felt like, yeah, this is, this is right, you know, so. And since then we've done a lot of great work for the city as, as well as many other cities. And but I think that whole idea of doing work that serves the community in some way, and it could be nonprofit or it could be for a municipal government or uh, any number of uh, other uh, outlets for that, but at the, at the core of it, we want to we serve the, the community, yeah. There was another thing we talked about at the time, which we were, we were both basically working for design-build clients, and all over the country. So we were flying all over the place, from yeah. coast to coast, north to south. We were on airplanes a lot, and I, I, I just break our history up into decades. The first decade seems like we spent a lot of time on airplanes, and we built the firm rapidly. It grew very rapidly. We were successful. But, but as John said, we really had a vision for, for being community-based architects and, and making the community a better place through our efforts and getting off the airplane and spending more time at home. So very early on in our history, we made a deliberate decision that we would not grow for the sake of growing, but that we would be very purposeful in, in working here in the community and doing regional architecture and, and doing projects that are important to community, mm -hmm. regardless of size. That's in our mission statement. So, and it, you know, through all that, I mean, we, we kind of evolved into a number of different Building types, not we don't necessarily go after a single building type. Like you know, there are those architected two strip centers or those type of things. Uh, and I think because of that meaningful purpose was one reason that I, as as part of the firm, got into historic preservation so much because uh, preserving that history is so important to communities. And uh, had the pleasure and the blessing of working on some really important historic projects for the state and the city and preserving those. And, uh, you know, there's a certain responsibility you feel about holding something in your hand that was installed by some guy a hundred years ago and knowing that you need to do it right and respectfully, whatever you do with it, you know, type thing. So, um, and, and we all kind of, in that development, uh, wore different hats that best fit us in the firm. I, I think the good thing is any of us could probably wear any of the hats, but each of us do it a little bit or to a different degree in a different hat. And I was kind of the technical guy. Yeah, I always got to do all the specs, and I think that's probably one reason I get to do all the historic preservation, because, you know, they, they are pretty intense and, and uh, lots of unique things. But I was the kind of guy coming from a construction background that I could turn the first piece of dirt on the ground and see the last piece of the building going up in my mind's eye. And so that was really beneficial and getting to work with all the prototypical type projects that we get to work with where you don't get the chance to do them again. You know, you kind of need to understand what you're doing, that type of thing. And all of our combined experience, uh, all being entrepreneurs in our life in a previous history of 
all kinds of different shapes and sizes, uh, I think was really important to be able to deliver some of those projects in the, the high quality that we always try to seek to provide the client. And, and as far as the, uh, uh, just I was kind of curious as far as what it, what it was like to actually practice architecture, you know, pre-internet, late 80s and through the 90s. It might be interesting to hear from each of you, you know, maybe, and, and what it felt like to be doing that here in, you know, in, in Oklahoma City. Okay, good. Uh, when we first got downtown, at, kind of as a team together, I remember our first fax machine that we got, and it was back when you had the thermal paper, and you do the fax, <laughs> and it'd go up and it'd roll under the, the table, you know. And I remember John saying, that's never going to catch on, you know. <laughs> and he was right. Because <laughs> you can't hardly find a fax machine today. <laughs> we were, uh, obviously, in the first part of our careers, we were solely drawing board guys. We drew with T-squares and drawing machines and drafting machines. And when computers came along, that was a brand new Phenomenon. So that's why John and I had to go to Votech to learn how to do it. And it was, when I think back on it, it was so crude and so yeah. slow painful. and painful. You know, you, when you drew a line, a straight line, because you couldn't draw curves back then. When you drew a straight <laughs> line, you had to pick a point with coordinates. And then you had to join it with another point with coordinates. And then tell it... <laughs> The distance, so it was. It, it was more like flying an airplane, yeah. more like flying an airplane than it was doing drafting. But then, you know, I mean, we've seen it all over over the lifespan of our careers and our to where now I don't. These guys do some, but I don't draw on the computer at all. Hmm. I still I just hand draw, and then we have we have young guys that grew up on computer drafting and they are so fast and so fluent with their programs that it does it makes no sense for me yeah, to go back onto the computer to try to draw. And in it in, in the fullness of time their skills will be obsolete and there'll mm-hmm. be a brand new, you know, virtual reality that's here now. generation. That's here now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you know, the technology has changed more in the last 30 years than it did in the previous 300 years. It's the nature of our, it's the nature of our world and it's certainly the nature of our profession. But uh, to go back to the decades thing, I, I like to think of our firm in, in terms of decades. In the first 10 years, we were doing a lot of design build work. We were trying to break into other areas of of endeavor but we weren't known people would ask me where I worked if I was an architect uh, I'd say you know I worked tap architecture and they would nod politely and be no flicker of recognition so after 10 years approximately 10 years we moved out of the tower where we were officing and then we moved into this building and then all of a sudden we have a street presence and a name on the building. Plus, you know, we've been faithful members of the chamber and doing local uh, community volunteering and serving on committees, all those kinds of things that introduce you and your name into uh, a community that you're truly engaged in and involved in. 
that seems to me it took 10 years for us to really reach the point where we had some street cred, where we, our name, you know, you didn't get that trout look when you said who you worked for. But so it's a tap, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen that sign, you know. I, you're up there on Broadway. So that was a major breakthrough for us, I think. Then the next 10 years we spent, well, like affirming who we were and, and embracing our new identity. Uh, and as Rick says, we, we do a little bit of everything. We're not specialists in a, in a profession that, that is composed of mostly specialists, mostly specialized firms in our industry. We're not. We're generous. So if you want to use a, if you want to use a physician metaphor uh, or analogy, you know, we're general practitioners. We're not heart doctors or foot doctors or skin doctors or internalists or gynecologists. You know, we're the general practitioner. So uh, we've done, I think we joke amongst ourselves that we've done every building type except corrections. I don't think we've ever done a prison. We've no, done some jails. Done some jails, but, but we've never done a full-blown no, corrections no, no. facility. Full-blown we've done just about, and we haven't done a nuclear power station either. Yeah, I haven't done that either. But there's not a lot of building types that we haven't yeah. done or tackled. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, the, and the last the last decade, I think we've spent just consolidating who we are and and getting ready for. A, uh, transition to another generation and hopefully hand this thing off to someone who wants it. Oh, yeah. 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 And as far as I was curious uh, in terms of, you know, how you work with clients, I was just curious in terms of your your, your overall approach, how that is, is how that has possibly evolved or if it has evolved over time as far as how, you know, having more of a general approach. And uh, how that you know how that translates into your work with clients, or uh, if, if hearing a little more about your individual philosophies as well as your firm's philosophy about that. Yeah. So I think one thing when you take a general approach, I think you have to kind of take the position with the owner that every project is a new project, new problem, new problem to solve. And so I think it to be successful, I think it requires you to listen. Um, I feel like when you're a specialist, and I was a specialist for a long time doing medical projects, I think after a while it becomes so formulaic, you begin to believe that uh, whether, you know, right or wrong, you kind of think that you're actually the answer guy, you know? You know, you know the questions, you know the answers. And, and if, the, you know, if the owner... Um, is exactly pleased. Well, there must have been something wrong with the owner, not the not the architect, right? So I, the general the generalist approach for us is much more satisfying because every morning you wake up, you're strapping on a new problem to solve, and um, and you and each owner has their own vision for their project. They have their own priorities, and so it it. Um, it, it just requires you to to um, remain kind of fresh and astute and and pay attention, you know. Yeah, and I think I think probably 
where the Formula Eight architects can say, you know, we've got this process we go through. I think in our case, a lot of it is, you know, if you ask me how I got, what's your what's your process used on the last project, and I can't really tell you how I got from point A to point Z hmm. because the path always changes along the way depending on what you're dealing with, who your clients are dealing with, what problems you're facing, and those type of things. And and I th- I think we're blessed in, in having a group of principles that each of us, if we face a problem, can bounce it off the, the other person and gain that extra insight as to, you know, that long history that they've had in the projects and, and guide you in the right direction to do things. And um, uh, it, that's especially true of historic preservation projects. They all have a different path that you go down. And uh, uh, Anthony does a lot of planning projects. and. He's always faced with putting together all these giant teams of people that that work on a particular project and, and having the ability to kind of analyze what has to be done there. And uh, John's really good with all the city projects and just understanding the complexities of what it takes to get through those. Most of those are what long duration projects that you know that we deal with. And um, so I think it, you know I think it's like John says it's really important to listen to the owner and help them along the path and uh, be the guide that you can form as you go through that path. And, uh, you know, it's our, it's our job to get them down the path. It's also our job to tell them we're not sure you want to go down that road when the time comes, you know, if we have to do that. And, and I think we've got, uh, it's important for us to develop those relationships that, you, you know, your client feels comfortable with you being able to do that and advise them in that way. Appreciate it. And then really kind of looking at, the city itself, in other words, you know, then compared to now, uh, it would be really interesting just to hear, you know, what each of your perspective, each of your perspectives, maybe on what things looked like then, as far as the city and the economy and and what was going on in the real estate market, in the commercial real estate market, and then you know how you feel like maybe things are are today, and then maybe what you see in the future. Let me give you a vignette. It was either eighty eight or eighty nine, and a contractor friend and client came downtown and he parked his pickup outside our building on Park Avenue and I walked him out to the truck and we had one of those classic Oklahoma conversations where he's leaning on the tailgate of the truck and I'm leaning on the side rail of the truck and we're, we're just yakking, you know, passing the time of day and he looks up and down Park Avenue and he said, you know, it's quiet and I said, yeah, sure is. He said, you know, I don't see a single vehicle moving, and I don't see a single person moving, and it's the middle of the afternoon. Hmm. It was dead. Wow. And I, when I say dead, it was like a ghost town in the middle of Oklahoma City, and I'll never forget that afternoon or that conversation when the contractor, who didn't, didn't come downtown much, uh, came to our office and we looked up down Park Avenue and there wasn't a single solitary thing moving, not a vehicle, not a person, uh, probably not a bird or a squirrel or anything. But <laughs> it, was, uh, it was in stark contrast to what you see today. Uh, I think the, it's fair to say that the oil, the oil, the energy business had collapsed. There was no housing downtown. So with a bunch of empty office buildings, 
and nobody living downtown, there wasn't really much of a reason to come downtown. Were there any retail downtown at that time? Nope. No, B.C. Clark. Yeah. B.C. Wow. Clark was the only retail operation that was there then and is there today. But the it really started to change, obviously, with Norick and Maps One and losing United Airlines. The bid for the United Airlines maintenance facility and the city, I think, knew that it was down. It was it was down on its heels. You know, it didn't have much self-respect, didn't have a, a lot of confidence in itself. And suddenly, one came along and said, "You know, guys, we need to we need to, we, we need to straighten we need to straighten this this mess out. Invest some money, build some cool things, and Norick started it. And of course, the rest is history. And now." Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is almost unrecognizable from what it was in 1988 when we started our firm. But I truly believe, because of all the projects that are ongoing and are funded, that in 10 years uh, you're not going to recognize downtown from what you see today. Mm-hmm. When the new park is in place, the convention center, and the hotel, and the development that's going to go on around in the next 10 to 20 years, I think. Oklahoma City's on a great trajectory. And knowing what we know on the inside of, or at the front end of a lot of projects, I mean, we, we know what projects are coming a long, long time before they can start coming out of the ground because they're in planning stages. But uh, the new money shot for Oklahoma City is going to look entirely different from the money shot that you see today. Very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it, and almost it's just amazing to even I can't even imagine what it would feel like to to see a deserted downtown like that, and mm-hmm. you know, versus what you what you see today, it's it's it really is amazing. Well, think of that contrast. It's really impressive for me because I was born in San Anthony's Hospital on Wednesday afternoon at six thirty p.m. Hmm. You know, over here uh, back there in about nineteen fifty three or so, and um, I can still remember coming downtown with my dad when he was driving downtown, and it was a very flourishing downtown back then when I was a young kid and people just trying to find a parking place and the mass crowds and you know all those kind of things and they just literally like Anthony says they just vanished you know Hmm. through urban renewal lots of other things that occurred back there and and, uh, that trajectory that would take cities down and and lose their identity so to speak and uh, to see it now turning back into that great hub of activity and uh, I, I mean, to have a city where the city leaders go around the country and have people ask them, how in the world did you do that? That's pretty impressive, mm-hmm. you know, to end up with paid-for projects and that type of thing that are, are set to take us into the, the next century, you know, in development. So it's really neat. It's a hometown boy. See? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the city's been blessed with <clears throat> several really good leaders. You know, starting with Norwich, probably. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but yeah, just one after another, boom, boom, boom. which has made the big difference. It made all the difference, really. I think. Oh yeah. Got have leadership. And then, lastly, I thought uh, as we uh, as we come to to a conclusion, I did, there again, it would be up to you all uh, if you may want to speak to you know just how you personally have changed since you guys you know started the firm and the trajectory of your careers working together, and just if you might want to speak as far as maybe looking at uh, you know. Your, your own personal evolutions, if, you, if you'd like to speak about that. 
So I was 37 years old when we started the firm. And it was a bold move, I would say, because I could have stayed where I was and, you know, continued on doing my design build, faith-based stuff all over the country. I mean, it was successful doing that. One of the reasons we were successful at the time is because we were working outside this community. If we were working inside the community, we'd have probably starved to death because there really wasn't much going on or if anything going on. So I was a young guy, 37 years old, a young family, and, and pretty green, but had a lot of energy and a lot of dreams and, and visions for what we could do in this city. I knew that the city wouldn't die but that it was in a hiatus, if you will, but that it would recover and it would, it would become something really special one day. And I wanted to be part of that with my partners. And that has come to fruition. So uh, now I find myself 30 years later, our firm is 30 years old this year, 30 years later, uh, feeling like we've had a really, really good run, that we've had a great, Influence, not uh, well. It's like a Mother Teresa thing, right? You don't do great things, but you do small things with great love. So I think that uh, when I look around the city, I see projects that we have our fingerprints on that did make a difference and are making a difference. Because as we move forward, uh, filling out this 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 great plan that we have. You know, we have our fingerprints all over that as well. So it feels like a, a, I'm looking back on a great career, and we're slowing down a little bit, uh, as, as rightfully so, and hopefully hand off to, to people that looked like us 30 years ago, that are young and ambitious and have a great love in their heart for this town and, and want to continue to make it a great place for for future generations. Yeah. And, you know, I look back on it and, and I just go back to the fact of, you know, it's just a, a vision of the doors that open and the doors that close because at one time in my career when I graduated, graduated with construction science, I, I, it, this, this is a true story. I, I actually was, you know, in construction all my life from the time I was six years old with my dad. And when I graduated high school, I thought to myself, I'm going to get a job where I know I'm under air conditioning all the time. That was the sole thought of going into pre-pharmacy at Southwestern State Open. <laughs> <laughs> and when I quickly discovered I didn't have a memory for that, I went back into, you know, construction science. And, and um, it was a hard time when I, you know, it seemed like when I got out of school, I always got out of school at the, at the hard time when it was tough to get a construction. I wanted to be a big time home builder. You could not get a job with a big time home builder anywhere in the United States back then and that type of thing. So even though all those little doors were closing, had they not closed, I wouldn't have been able to take this great ride that I've had and, you know, be able to make a difference in Oklahoma City. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I look back on that and it's just, you know, just take one step through the door and see where it leads you. You know, that's kind of what Anthony did, and that's kind of what I did on his coattails, just kind of tagging along behind. And and um, I think John kind of did the same thing. And I, I think both of these guys just ended up stopping in Oklahoma City one day. I think, uh, you know, their, their journey to how they actually got here to Oklahoma City. I was a hometown boy, <laughs> but uh, they weren't. And so you look at that, and it's, it's kind, of, uh, kind of a neat story how 
all three of us ended up in the same place from completely different backgrounds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when I came here, it was 1978, and I had been working as a city planner in Minneapolis. I graduated in 75, and I was very fortunate because none of my peers had jobs um, back then. And the city of Minneapolis put me on, and uh, so I was very fortunate. But then I, uh, I got restless. You know, I wanted to be an architect, actually. That's what I trained for, not to be a city planner. And so I decided to head south, and um, to make a really long story short, I ended up in Oklahoma City. Found a job with an architect here, and it was, by the way, very easy to find a job hmm. in 1978. I mean, there were, everybody was hiring. And I thought, this is just a temporary deal. You know, I'm going to be here for three years, I'm going to get licensed, and then either I'm going back home, or I'm going to Seattle, or I'm going somewhere, but just a temporary deal. But uh, Oklahoma City is a funny place because it has a way to kind of grab you. Hmm. And um, I think it grabbed Anthony that way too, probably. But at any rate, so once, you, once it grabs you, uh, uh, you don't want to go anywhere else, actually. It's a great place to raise a family. Uh, it's, it's a great place to start a company or a practice, you know. There are so many parts of the country, people who grow up here don't even realize it, that there are so many places in the country where unless you are already moneyed or you are born to the right family or you are in the right fraternity or sorority uh, or something like that, you got zero chance. Zero chance. It's not going to happen. Oklahoma City was like wide open. And... Uh, I think that also afforded, I mean, I, I always have felt like that afforded me and us as a firm the opportunity to actually make a place here and make a difference, you know, so. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Oklahoma City is a, I, we all traveled all over the place. Oklahoma City is very unique in that regard. I mean, if you can get her done in Oklahoma City, you can get hired. <laughs> you just be able to, you just got to be able to get her done. And there are there's still those you know those still those blue blooded layers you know where connectivity we don't enjoy that kind of connectivity. But on the other hand, we can't get her done, and that's I think that's why we've been really successful, and that's the kind of place that Oklahoma City is. If you can provide the service, uh, you're gonna you're gonna be successful. Well, I definitely appreciate it. This has been uh, it's been really inspiring and uh, very enlightening just to hear your all story uh, as individuals and as as uh, partners. And I really appreciate you all taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.